Welcome to WDFG, Dear Final Girl Radio, the advice and horror podcast where life problems have an answer. Now here are your hosts, Lori and Tamara. Hey, Final Girl. Hey, Final Girl. How's it been going? Oh, it's been going great. We got a fancy new microphone. I know. Hopefully people can tell the difference. Ooh. Perhaps. Yes, perhaps. Mm. I'm feeling very finally today. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm in a final kind of mood. Like a feeling like a survivor? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> feeling like you need. On the way, trying yeah. to be. Well, trying to be. I mean, isn't that why we're here? That is why we're here. That is why we're here. And to, and to help our fellow final girls, final boys, and final non-binaries <laughs> through the magic of horror films. Yeah, absolutely. Who knew? Who knew? Uh, I mean, I think you knew. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> a lifelong love slash affliction, you know, bears fruit. <laughs> I mean, that's isn't that what we could only hope for for everyone um, that we like our personal loves can turn into something that helps others. Absolutely. And I think that social media has definitely created horror community in a way that kind of couldn't exist before. Mm-hmm. I mean, I you know, I, I don't know what was going on in like chat rooms of the nineties. I I probably don't <laughs> wanna know. There was a right. there was a probably right. a lot of horror community there. But just, you know, when I think about Twitter, um, um, and other platforms, it's like we've all found each other, and it's it's really kind of an amazing phenomenon because um, I don't I don't want to paint a broad brush mm. as to you know who and what a tip you know a typical horror fan is like, but you know a lot of us are more introverted. We're sort of an anxious lot. And um, to to reach out and bond over a genre that, you know, I mean, it has dark themes. Mm-hmm. And um, to, to reach out and say, hey, I like this thing. Right. Um, and have other people, mm-hmm. you know, kind of answer back me too. It's, it's really cool. It's, I think it takes a lot of courage to do that. And yeah, people agree. are definitely doing that. So. I agree. Yeah. It's, it's weird for me because I'm new to the community and um, new to horror movies in general, like movies specifically. Mm-hmm. We've talked before, perhaps on an unpublished episode, about how I've um, had a long-standing love of horror, but um, more books... <laughs> And I can tell you exactly where this came from. Is that I was just gonna ask. <laughs> <laughs> my parents, um, Steve and Sheila, they're, they're great awesome. people. Hey, Steve and Sheila. Hi. Hey. You're probably not gonna listen to this because you don't know <laughs> I exist. But um, but they basically allowed us to read anything that we wanted. It like there were Stephen King books sitting around our house. That's cool. And but watching things was an entirely different um, 
it was a like we weren't entirely entirely different kettle of fish, as my <laughs> boss would say. Um, who, he's British, so that's, okay, that's that where that, that comes yeah. from. Um, but it it for me, gosh, I didn't see Friday the Thirteenth until I was probably I know I was at least fourteen, and even then. I only saw the end of it. I remember you telling me that. Yeah. So you knew before you re- when you re- when we watched it recently because uh-huh. we've got a Friday the Thirteenth episode. You had you you knew who the killer was. God, I don't even know if I knew that. Actually, I did know who the okay. killer was because I saw Scream before I saw That's Friday right. the Thirteenth. That's right, and you don't, can't answer wrong because bad things will happen right. to Absolutely. you. Absolutely. <laughs> That's really cool. Did your parents, was it an intentional dividing line or just something that just wasn't as important as reading? I mean, reading is, I think, you know, it sounds like the attitude was sort of like, reading is still reading and it's still good, even (laughs) if maybe you're reading Stephen King at 12. Or adult themes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Gosh, I before I was 12, I got to say, I got to say that uh, I was reading, so we had a copy of the Bachman books, Mm -hmm. and I read those probably at 10. That's awesome. And then I started reading, like, the, the Dark Tower series at probably 11. Um, I don't think that it was anything more than there were government age restrictions on whether you could like see a movie in a theater pg-13 or r right and my parents were just like well the government says you can't watch this (laughs) and we were like oh okay that makes sense yeah and (laughs) trust the government by by all means oh yes absolutely because they would never do anything bad to you speaking of bad things happening to good people Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Black Christmas. Yes, Black Christmas. So we will um, we will read, uh, Tamara's going to read this week's letter. Yeah. Um, uh, which, if you have seen Black Christmas, and we will do a little uh, tiny plot summary, you will understand why we chose this movie mm-hmm. as the, the vehicle for this week's advice. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so our letter um, just says, starts out, Dear Final Girl, I just found out I'm pregnant and I'm really confused. I'm not ready to be a parent, but I haven't told my boyfriend, and I know he'll feel differently. Mm-hmm. We've talked about having kids together in the past, but to be honest, I haven't felt that way about him for a long time. In fact, I've been wanting to end it, but just haven't worked up the courage to do it. And now this, I know I'm not going to keep the baby and that I don't want to be with him. I just have to figure out when I'm going to tell him and how much. I'm assuming that means how much I'm go- how much of the whole situation she's going to tell him. That's what I'm guessing, yeah. Clear but still confused, Marietta, Georgia. That was like, that was a heavy letter. Yeah. That was a heavy letter. And thank you, clear but ste- still confused for... Sharing this with us, um, I think it's a it's a situation that many women have found themselves in, um, or 
persons with uteruses yes. have found themselves in. Yes, um, and it is the it it is the unique position in that particular situation because it is going to be your body that is caring and sustaining this mm-hmm. child. I mean, obviously that's just the beginning of things. But, you know, I appreciated so much that she I love the way she signed her letter, clear but still confused. Because I think a lot of times we know, we know, we already know what we want. Mm -hmm. We know what we need to do. It's just not necessarily easy to do it. And, And conveying how you feel about a situation that's that's the beginning, not not the end. You know, uh, how how long between when you articulate how you feel about a situation and what your solution is? How long before that situation actually fully resolves itself mm-hmm. with all the all the parties involved? You know, um, mm-hmm. so so the reason that we. Um, uh, yeah, immediately I thought of Black Christmas. Right. Uh, now, there are a lot of Black Christmas I, Christmases, Christmas, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there are a lot of Black Christmas movies. There might be three at this point, but we always go OG here, so mm-hmm. I immediately thought of the 1974. I don't even know if the plot element that made us think you know that we thought of with this letter is even in the other two but that's a really good question yeah but because it's 1974 it's very close to roe v wade and so uh abortion can be talked about openly yes um keep going i'm gonna get a glass of water okay okay so uh, a little bit of plot summary for our friends out there who may not have seen this film Black Christmas is Bob Clark's 1974 classic in which a group of sorority sisters is terrorized by phone calls from a deranged lunatic named Billy. One of the sisters disappears against the backdrop of another girl's disappearance as the police struggle to find whether the crimes and the calls are connected. But could the killer be Peter, the high-strung concert pianist and boyfriend to our final girl, Jess? who is eager to end their relationship after she learns she's pregnant. I think she was already eager to end this relationship. Um, But, you know, she definitely knew what she wanted to do uh, when she found out she was pregnant. And we, we learn, we are introduced to their relationship fairly early on in the film. Um, he calls the house, mm-hmm. and I believe he calls after they've received one of these threatening phone calls. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's clear, well, she's like, you know, hey, you know, when are you going to be free? Because I have something that I need to talk to you about. It's never good to hear. It, it's never good to hear those words. No. <laughs> you you yeah. know shit's going to go down. Especially if, you know, somebody says... When can I talk to you? It's like, well, aren't you talking to me right now? Like, right. why can't you just tell it to me over the phone? And then it's sort of that... What One of the things that I just wrote down after reading the letter 
was fear of other people and our own vulnerability. And the, I think one of the things that's happening, right, when you take that phone call, but you can't tell the whole thing, it starts to build up the fear. Yeah. Like, what do they want to talk to me about? Is it, is this the end of us or is it going deeper? Oh my God, there's so many possibilities. And so I think that what Jess's character does there is sort of heighten the tension around that Jess and Peter relationship. Yeah. Or I guess Bob Clark does it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, we, we get some early insight into their characters as a result of the this conversation, including his. So we, we learn, I don't remember if we learn via the phone call that he is a music student. We know that he's been preparing for exams. Mm-hmm. He hasn't slept for several days. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's exhausted and, um, and you know, there's sort of the sense of like, hey, stop playing games with me. What's this about? And she's like, no, I, you know, we need to talk in person about this. Um, <clears throat> and as I mentioned, you know, it does come, this call does come right after they have received one of these obscene phone calls. Right. To and and by they I mean the sorority sisters. So a lot of the action is centered um, you know, in and around this sorority house. Mm-hmm. Um and there's a lot of um there's a lot of proximity to the calls that come from this deranged maniac Mm -hmm. and the proximity of conversations, I think, to Peter, which, of course, starts very early on, Mm -hmm. you know, the the thought process of is he the, you know, is just just how, like, high-strung is this guy? Just is, is, is the stress and the strain and this, you know, quote, unquote, artistic temperament is right. that is that all enough? Uh, and then on top of that, you know, um, getting this bad news is this enough to to maybe make him the killer? Right. Um, so that's that's kind of floated out there for the for the bulk of the film. Um, but it does start with you know this group of this group of sorority sisters who are. Just awesome. They're they're yeah. really <laughs> a lot of fun. We've got what Barb, who is Margot Kidder. Yeah, we've got so our final girl in this movie ish final ish, which we'll get to. We're not quite sure actually, mm-hmm. but Jess is our final girl, played by Olivia Hussey, and mm-hmm. then as you said, and then Barb, which is Margot Kidder. Um, there is there are also. Three other main characters from the um, sorority. Claire, who's the first to die. Yep. Well, in in this, we can only assume that Claire is the first to die in this group of girls. In this group of girls, Mm -hmm. yes. Because there is another murder that has taken place in the town. We don't know whether it's the same. I mean, it likely is, but we it's not ever really... Yeah, and is it... Is it... Is is there one, sorry, I'm thinking, is there one or two murders? Like, is the girl that's gone missing the same one that's found in the park? 
or is that some other girl? It's not made clear. I tend to think it could be different because remember, I get you get the impression that the girl who ends up murdered in the park, um, we meet we we meet her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, I get the impression she's a a younger girl. Uh-huh. Whereas when they talk about the girl who's gone missing in town, oh and they yeah, talk she's about a her townie. being a townie. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that for sure. Um, it seems like I get the sense more of like an adult or you know a teenager or a college, but it's not it's not made clear, and I think that's one of the, you know, speaking of our letter, clear but still confused. Um, right. There's a lot that just isn't resolved in this movie. They don't. There's so many things that are left open, mm-hmm. um, uh, including the backstory of of this killer. Right. Um, you get all these little fragments, but you get them through his telling as he's making these completely deranged calls mm-hmm. where sometimes you can't even understand what he's saying because he's so completely off the deep right. end. Right. Yeah. Um, um, have we... Are okay, so Claire, who's the first to die, Mrs. Mack, who is the house mother. Yes, the drunken house mother. <laughs> she is so great. She's she, delightful. She, um, she really kind of lightens the mood, she right? Um, and then Phyllis, who is like a, a comedian, she's on Great News. She's the mom from Great News, which is a Tina Fey um, sitcom. Okay. Um, and she's she kills it in Great News. Um, then Janice is the local girl who's who never um, who was murdered. Okay. Um, well. But she's not necessarily the townie, as we said. Yeah. Um, so Phyllis is sort of like the nerdy girl. When it opens, when the show or when the movie opens, they're all kind of hanging. All the sorority girls are hanging out around. Jess is getting plastered. She's like, oh, you guys want to go skiing this oh, weekend? Oh, Barb. Barb's getting plastered. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Barb is getting plastered. Jess is sort of leaning against a wall looking kind of upset. And Phyllis has her arm up and kind of leaning in on her. And it looked to me like Phyllis is hitting on Jess in that one. Um, and you're like, no, I don't, I don't think so. And I, I guess it makes sense as you get to know that Jess is with Peter and Peter's being a dick and Phyllis is probably there like consoling her and talking to her about it because Jess kind of looks like she's sulking against the wall. Um, Yeah, and we we learn later that at least Phil and maybe some of other Jess's friends aren't that crazy about Peter. Yeah. So, I and have Chris, yeah. who is oh, the Chris. guy. I called him Chad. He's the guy with the fur <laughs> coat. Um, yeah, he's wearing like this big 
I mean, something that I don't know if there's, you know, football fans out there, but just remember, but if, if there are, think of like <laughs> yeah. Joe Namath, you know, Broadway yeah. Joe on, uh-huh. the, on the sidelines you back know, in his heyday wearing thing. his big ass fur coat. But this is when men wore big ass fur yeah, coats. Yeah, I mean. It's pretty awesome. I think we should go back to that. Although yeah. maybe not real fur, right? Like fake fur. Right, right. Yeah. Um, like. So it's interesting because I have. You know, within the context of once again, kitties are always in the are always you know the silent guest stars, not so silent. Yeah. Uh, because I have four of them, and they they are not respectful at all <laughs> of what we're trying to do here, or what we're trying to build. Um, okay, so bringing it back, bringing it back to the sorority house because into our to our final girl, you know, foundation. Um, this was an early slasher, so like 1974. Mm-hmm. And long before the final girl was like a formal trope, like this came out in the early 90s, but the character was there. But for an early slasher, um, Jess and even the other girls are not your typical early slasher film girls Mm-mm. at all. Mm-mm. Like, just about everything that could be different is different. Um, the, for, for example, like with them as a group, when they, when the phone, the phone rings, you know, they're, they're at the sorority house. Of course, it takes place at Christmas. They're having a little Christmas party. Mm-hmm. And the phone rings, Jess picks it up, and instantly starts to recognize the sounds of this crazy guy who's been calling them. Mm -hmm. But they're not scared. She says, hey, everybody, it's him again, the moaner. (laughs) You know? So, very different than Scream. And they all gather around to listen to this guy. I'm guessing because up to this point, it kind of sounds like he's, since they called him the moaner, yeah. it kind of sounds like his version of the prank call is like to get on the call and masturbate. Probably. Um, it seems like. And like, <laughs> I mean, what else are you going to do if you're a moaner? <laughs> Which I thought she said Mona. Hey, everybody, it's the Mona. It's the Mona. Because she's got that <laughs> accent. That's so awesome. <laughs> I was like, uh, like, like Mona? From... Like one of their friends, Mona? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or um, the mom from Who's the Boss, the grandma. Oh, from... my gosh. Mona. <laughs> Mona. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> but, you know, it does, it does sort of suggest that prior to the calls that we see in the film, that maybe they were kind of, I mean, I don't know, is it fair to say harmless? Clearly they begin to escalate. Right, and I think that that's a really good uh, call out because so many things that start out harmless turn dangerous on us. Yeah. And we sometimes let them let them go because it's like the the boiling frog syndrome you know that like when somebody starts to turn up the heat a little bit we're like oh but this isn't 
that much different from what he was doing before. So I'm the one with the problem. Right. It's these change by these slow degrees, which Mm -hmm. may be going back to our letter and also related to um, Peter and Jess's relationship that, you know, yeah, things change by slow degrees. And it isn't until they reach a certain level of, intensity or distress or something Mm -hmm. that all of a sudden... Or there's a qualifying event. Yes, that's a brilliant point. Yeah, yeah, there's something that's the tipping point. Thank you, Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, for your vocabulary for this. Right. But yeah, definitely. Well, and the... I think with the phone call, it's the same sort of way that... Somebody points out, well, didn't you hear about the girl in town? Maybe this is related to that girl's disappearance. Mm -hmm. And Barb is like, you can't rape a townie. Yeah, that was like, wow, what a... What a line. So, so Barb, come on. Yeah. Do better. Um, <laughs> but, like, the the idea that they can be receiving these phone calls, but all of a sudden, if there's a rapist on the loose, the phone calls aren't funny anymore. Right. That it, it takes that event to kind of turn things and see it in a new light um, that I think is really interesting and happens to um clear but still confused our our letter like this qualifying event for her makes her think about oh is is this a person that i would want to be with long term and should i end this now because i'm ending so many other things right right i think in the in the film, you know, an, another way that things start to escalate is when the the police investigation and the search end up being a, a dual search. So they're looking for the girl who's already mm-hmm. missing, and then now Claire has gone missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, a you know going back to like how how this film deviates from the final girl trope. So you've got a group of extremely independent women who, when they get that first call, I mean they're like making fun of the guy, especially mm-hmm. Barb. I mean she's like goading him and basically like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. you know, why don't you go stick it in a wall socket and maybe <laughs> you get you'll get through. a real charge out of that. <laughs> so they That's are just... 70s um, vocabulary. You'll yes. get a charge out of that. <laughs> yes. Great. So she's, she, Barb is really loving, letting this caller have it, but then right at the end of the call, he says, I'm going to kill you. Right. So things turn things turn <laughs> dark. A little sour after that. Yeah. So we also learn, you know, that our our final girl Jess is, you know, she's very self she's very self possessed. Mm-hmm. She she knows what she wants and what she doesn't want. Um, there's this really, I, there's this. Okay, kitties, tear up. All cat toys need to be cleared. 
from the vicinity of recording. <laughs> because what you guys don't know is that my cats actually play fetch, and I'm just really hoping one of them doesn't try to bring the little toy over. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, one of the coolest scenes in this film, and I just thought it, it was so real and so authentic, after Jess has told Peter... She's kind of laid a double whammy on him. I have, I have a degree of empathy for Peter, which I would like to discuss. Okay. Yeah. Um, but after she lays lays it on him that not only does is she pregnant and doesn't want to keep the baby, she does also does not want to be with him anymore. He's had this. The, the news has disturbed him. He's had this disastrous recital. It seems like it's kind of part of his final exam. Right. And, you know, his world is falling apart. He basically comes to the sorority house and is like, look, I'm, I'm done with this. I've lived in this dorm for seven years. I can't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. We're going to get married and we're going to have the baby. Um, which, you know, Jesus. you're like, okay, thanks for the newsflash, mister. Right. Also, <laughs> yeah, thank you for deciding the rest of my life for me. Yeah. But it is interesting because she says, she says, okay, do you remember when we first met? Mm-hmm. And you told me about all these things that you wanted to do. And I told you about things that were important to me and that I wanted to do too. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, I still want to do those things. Mm-hmm. So just because... You know, you're like, I'm going to leave the conservatory. I'm going to give up my dream. That doesn't mean I have to give up my dream. Right. You know, I thought that was such a nuanced mm-hmm. conversation. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of... that. That is... I mean, it's almost like Bob Clark wrote that from life. Mm-hmm. You know, that... Um, and it's so feminist too. There are so many points about this movie that, like, really, um, really just scream feminism and the power of these women, um, and also sort of, I mean, if I may, Billy in the attic plus, uh, I mean. There's a lot of toxic masculinity happening all through this, but uh, it's almost like Billy in the attic uh, killing these girls is like a uh, like a metaphor for the patriarchy. That makes sense. Like that, even though. Jess is able to, spoiler, kill Peter in the end, at the end of the movie, we know that Billy is still around and Billy is likely going to kill again and that the women who will come to live in that house aren't safe. Right, right. And I actually... I actually, I actually wondered whether it was Jess that killed Peter. So what? So we'll we'll fill in a little bit of the story. So um, the the calls continue. They escalate. 
the police become involved. Mm -hmm. There are these great, like, early 70s, like, this is how we wiretapped in 1974. (laughs) Also... They were so great. I love them so much. The fact that Barb is able to give a new... What is it called when... uh, Oh, the exchange. Yes, the new exchange, which I... I, we didn't have exchanges when I was a kid. That is a new, like, an old thing. An old thing. Me. Yeah, so the exchanges, so back in the day, you know, you wouldn't give your number as 615, you know, 555, 1234. I was going to say, like, yeah, you're going to yeah, give your phone I'm number out on the internet. Yeah. Hey, for a good time. Hey, <laughs> let me just dox myself here. Yes. Yeah. So it, there would be there would be an an exchange mm-hmm. like a letter a letter prefix that I think was probably associated with a neighborhood or a yeah, part yeah, of town, yeah, yeah. and so you know Barb you know once again with these women they're going <laughs> to they're going to the police station to report that Claire is missing. Barb played by Margot Kidder gives the number and she says. Oh yeah, um, um, it's a it's a fellatio, you know, whatever five seven four nine, yeah. and <laughs> the cop looks at her, and for a minute you think like, okay, he's like, all right, come on, let's let's stop messing around. Turns yeah. out he has no idea what that word means, yeah. <laughs> and if he's married or has a girlfriend, I do feel sorry for her. So <laughs> right, exactly. Well, I mean. It all depends. It's, it's only bad for him, I guess, if, if, she, if he doesn't know. Maybe he doesn't know the word, but maybe he's does a fine job. Who knows? Right. We yeah, don't, yeah, and yeah, we yeah. really don't want to know about this guy quite, quite honestly. So. Right. But anyway, so she's like, yes, you know, the number is fellatio 5347 or whatever. It's a new exchange, F-E. <laughs> so, of course, then when he tells his other cop friends later... Yeah. Uh, they all get quite the laugh because they know exactly what that. But I think even that, like in this movie, you've got abortion, mm-hmm. you've got fellatio. I don't fellatio, remember hearing yeah. the word fellatio in early movies. No, <laughs> you know. So um, I totally lost track of where we were. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, it's okay. Um. Oh, you said that you weren't entirely sure that <laughs> cat on the computer. It's totally fine. He's um oh. Uh that you weren't entirely sure that the uh oh. that bar that Jess killed Peter. Yes. <laughs> I thought that maybe so. Peter is not the killer. Um, there, right. There's a lot of there, there's a lot to suggest that he is, mm-hmm. uh, but he is not. Um, I thought that because Jess was being pursued by the killer at the same time that Peter shows up back at the sorority house, that maybe they both had been attacked by the killer. That it was actually the killer who killed Peter and not Jess because Mm. Jess and Peter are kind of lying in a, a heap together Mm -hmm. when the police arrive because they real, Oh, they realize the calls are coming from inside the house. Right. 
Um, we'll see that mechanism later in the film when a stranger calls. Mm-hmm. That's another damn good film. Um, and I cannot remember the year. It was definitely in the 70s. I want to say it was probably, I don't know, 78 or 79. Um, there's a, a lot going on in that film, too. It's got a lot of a lot of different stories that it kind of packs into one, but... <clears throat> But yeah, so I, I um, yeah, they, they learned that the, they, they were finally able to trace these calls um, because Jess was able to keep the killer, Billy. 79. 79, okay. They did it again in 2006, Yeah, they course, always do it again. Because we <laughs> can't do anything new in this world. No. Ah! No. Curses. <laughs> Where's the originality, damn it? Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, so that was just my take. That's interesting. I I hadn't thought about that. Mm, Now that kind of opens up, like, whether... Okay, so the caller... uh, Let me just say, that kind of opens up whether the caller tried to kill both of them or just tried to kill Peter and then got scared off because the cops came into the house. Yes. Because the things that the caller says are... Where'd you where'd you put Agnes Billy? Where'd you put the baby? Um, it's just like having a wart removed. Is that Billy who says that? Is that the caller who says yes. that? Yes. It's and he's saying it in a like a high pitch. It's just like having a wart removed. Like that, ha- killing a baby is like a medical procedure, just like having a wart removed, and that it's. It's not a big deal when obviously we know that it's a very big deal and yes. it's a huge decision. Um, but I wonder, I, I mean, what, what you're saying with that, I wonder if Billy is, I mean, it breaks down my whole idea of Billy as the patriarchy, but I wonder if Billy is protecting Jess because she is like whoever had to get, does that not work? I don't know. No, I just never thought about it before. It could very well work. Now, this brings up a really interesting point about the degree to which... Okay, because the calls are coming from inside the mm-hmm, house. Mm-hmm. The this is the sorority house is an old house. Um, the killer in the in very early, I mean, some of the opening scenes, he enters... I mean, you you get those great POV shots, you know, Mm -hmm. the heavy breathing and kind of that fishbowl look. Mm -hmm. The killer, this, this, well, this odd person is stalking around outside this house. Mm -hmm. Um, He he enters the house through a window and I think immediately goes up into the attic. Yeah. So So, he knows where the attic is, or he knows that the attic is safe. He also apparently knows that the attic has a second line in it. Right, and see, I've always thought that he's got some personal connection to this house. That maybe, mm. maybe it was, maybe this is the house that he grew up in. Right, and it was turned into a sorority house. Yeah. That would make sense because when we get, when we first go into that attic, it's like within the first 30 seconds of the movie, he crawls into the attic through the window, and then I was like, What's the rocking chair doing there? It's a freaking sorority house. Why mm-hmm. would they need a rocking chair? But then Mrs. Mack says... 
Oh, I gotta clean this attic. She yeah. she ends up in the attic looking for the cat, uh, <laughs> who's all Claude. He's always roaming around. Claude. Claude. Oh, Claude. Claude. W D or W E D C L A W E D or C L A U D. Never. Okay, the possibilities are endless. Uh, oh my gosh. So yeah. So I. Bob I, Clark. You. Bob Clark. You. Bob Clark. Also director of Christmas Story. Oh my gosh. And I went to that house. Yes, he did. That <laughs> By was the way, so the Christmas awesome. story the house from a Christmas story, uh, at least where the exterior uh, shots were taken and where some of the interior shots were taken, uh, is in Cleveland, Ohio, and it's a museum and you can go visit it. Uh, they are not paying me to say that, but uh, yeah, I went I, to visit, and it's great. I would so, I so want to go there. Oh. I so, It gives me a reason to want to go to Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland's our, our, a pretty good, I know. cool town, Cleveland actually. rocks, Drew Carey says. Right. Uh, <laughs> gosh. Um, uh, it, do, it it actually does kind of rock. So, yeah. Um, well, and it has the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, right? Yes. So, it yes. literally rocks. I didn't actually go to see that because... That would be, yeah, if you're not in a town for very long, you just, because that would be, that would be a place you'd want to stay, like, a number of hours. Okay, so what, sorry, go on. No, what we were talking about was the killer's apparent familiarity with this house, he's, he's in and out of it all the time, Mm -hmm. making calls, he's listening to their conversations, he knows these women's lives Mm -hmm. and the reason i i bring that point up is this is what what tamra was talking about just a minute ago with this line just like having a wart removed so what that refers to is a conversation that um the continuing conversation that jess and peter are having about Mm -hmm. the fact that she wants to have the abortion Mm -hmm. this conversation takes place at the at the sorority house and he just feels she's being very cavalier about her decision to terminate this pregnancy and peter says to her you know you talk about it like you know you're having a wart removed Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then later, when Jess gets another one of these terrifying phone calls, Uh in the midst of all of his deranged babble, Billy says, it's just like having a wart removed. Right. And that's how we knew that he had been listening in. Right. Yeah. And it's also what, at least at that point, intensifies the suspicion that the killer is Peter. Yes. Because, I mean, there were only two people in that scene. but. But and that's that's interesting. Um, <clears throat> the killers, the killers, this this weird intimacy with them and their their lives. Um, there, it's really the relationship of a lot of different male characters oriented to. Mm-hmm. I think the lives of lives of these women you've got peter you've got the killer you've got um the father of the missing girl Mm -hmm. of of claire Mm -hmm. you've got the police Mm -hmm. nash and jennings i knew those are those weirdo no nash and jennings are the cops the detectives yeah 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 
I thought you were talking about those two weirdo bumpkin oh, guys. From, yes. From the search party. And one of them was in a bunch of other horror films. I don't know. Whatever. I looked yeah. him up. One of them is listed on Google in the cast. And I was like, okay. Okay. Search yeah. party number two. Search party number one is not listed. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so these guys... There's a lot of comic relief mm-hmm. in, in this in this film. So we talked earlier about how Mrs. Mack, the house mother, she is just a trip. Like we should, I, yeah. She she deserves a lot of a lot oh, of discussion. I know. But the another another scene of comic relief is very late in the film. There's the search party is going on for the girls who are missing, including Claire, one of the sorority sisters. Mm-hmm. And these two guys just show, like, they don't really seem like the sharpest tools in the shed. They show up at the sorority house, and they're all like, uh, you know, you girls, you girls got to be careful, you know, keep your doors, windows locked, you know, there's like some, you know, strange, strange people out here. And you're like, you guys you. are, <laughs> you're the strange people. <laughs> yeah. So they're, so at this point, it's Jess and Phil. Mm-hmm. Who, uh, who... Because Barb has passed out. Barb has passed out. Barb has gotten, you know, shit-faced and has been told after... Has has been told she should just go lie down in her room. Um, <laughs> that, how many times have women heard that? Ugh. Like, why don't you just go lie down? Or, frankly, there have been many a time that I have said... I'm just going to go lie down for a little while, yeah, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. We It means we know how to take care of ourselves, mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, um, I'm sorry. Um, the detective is Lieutenant Fuller. I don't know who Fuller, that's Nash right. and Jennings are. Nash and Jennings, I think, are the other two cops. Nash is kind of the, the, the dullard who doesn't know what fellatio is. Yes, and Jennings is the one in the car that gets killed. Yes. He's been stationed outside the house. And I, I thought that that was interesting like the if we're going to do the um metaphor of the patriarchy um definitely billy in the attic but also the cops like lieutenant fuller is trying to do right but he can't within the the system that he's in mm-hmm. and there's a lot of just dingbats uh nash and jennings and uh, the other uh, detective who just seems more excited about, uh, you know, making fun of Nash for the fellatio stuff than <laughs> yeah. he does about actually solving these crimes. Um, yeah, it's sort of like the authority, you know, there's the uh, supposed authority figures. Mm-hmm. Um, I interrupted you, though, were we? No, 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 no. I'm just saying that, yes, exactly, that... That the authority, the patriarchy, is not working for these girls, and it's actually, it might possibly be working against him. Yes, and I think you know, I think that the movie is nuanced and and uh, it's it's quite nuanced, mm-hmm. so that you know, all of the the cops, they don't all get um, uh, lumped into the 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 bumbling detective right. category. Mm-hmm. Like I would even say about Jennings. Jennings is the guy who's been positioned in a car outside the sorority house. He's there to, 
you know, keep an, keep an eye, you know, yeah. keep an eye on them. And, you know, poor guy gets his throat slashed. I mean, that, that's not necessarily incompetence. It's just like being in the wrong, yeah. a cop in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Lute- I guess it's Lieutenant Fuller, who's mm-hmm. the main detective, played by, you know, the ever-awesome John Saxon, yeah. who I, you know, I have a super crush on. Um um, he's very, very competent, very capable. The I guess another member of the police force who is the one who's attempting to perform the trace on the calls. That guy knows yeah. exactly mm-hmm. what he's doing. <clears throat> so I always find it interesting, you know, and I, I want to, you know, definitely go back to, to our letter. It, it's... Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 super easy to to talk about about the the patriarchy. I mean, it's definitely there. And and there's nobody, especially in this day and age, men and women alike who aren't going to cringe a little bit when they hear Peter tell Jess like, you know, you're going to have this baby. And we're going to get married. Right. And when she's basically like, no, and Mm -hmm. he's, he's like, you know, you're really going to be, you're going to be really sorry about this. I mean, there's, there's nobody who's not going to cringe. Um, I mean, I think there are people who wouldn't cringe and who, uh, say, yeah, that's exactly how it should be. And Jess is being punished because she does not make this correct decision. Yeah, um, quote unquote correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Of course, she doesn't yeah. go with, um, and uh, you know there are plenty of people who say that um, uh, that these women shouldn't be even going to school. You know that they should be back in the to, day. Back in the no, that there are plenty of people out there now who say that these women shouldn't be going to school. You know, like. I'm glad I don't know any of these people. I don't, I don't, I don't think we've. I mean, I, and, uh, I think that that's part of the problem is that, um, the, the reason that Peter is such a believable character even now is because there are men who would say, you're going to do this thing and I'm you know, I've made this decision mm-hmm. and you're going to go with my decision. Um, and whether that's right or wrong, I mean, it's wrong, obviously. But, uh, like, I think that's part of what makes it so nuanced. And I think that goes back to our letter, which is probably, I've cut you off, I'm no, sorry. No, no, you go ahead. But I, I think that because the fear that our letter has is that I I don't know how much to tell him because uh, like there's so many things that he could say it's my decision too it's my child too we should stay together and raise this kid the same things that Peter says right. are scary because they are things that people say even though she knows She's already, you she's know, already made the decision. yeah, all right, like clear but still confused. She she's already 
she's telling us she's already made her decision and it's really hard and I don't think this is the right episode to talk about I don't think this is the right episode to talk about the degree of validity that a man would have in saying mm-hmm. I'm I'm part of this too. Mm-hmm. I am part of this situation. I mean, when it when it boils down to it, it is absolutely the woman's decision. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is her, her body. body. Yeah. Um but I don't think that it's wrong for a man to to say, hey, you are not the only person mm-hmm. involved in this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a good discussion for like another, maybe another podcast, because I definitely don't want to step on, right. you know, on the um, unclear but still confused and, and the letter. Um, Well, and I think that what, I think that the fear in this letter is that it has to be all or nothing. Like, yeah, that, and I think that something that I myself struggle with because, and some of it's tied up in my perfectionist tendencies and, um, I say tendencies, but it's, you know, uh, (laughs) documented and medical (laughs) perfectionism. Um, But like that for me, if if there's a hard choice, I almost automatically want to jump in with both feet and say, well, it's got to be all or nothing. Right. You know, and so I think that the choice that Clear But Confused is making is more about she doesn't want to be with this man and have this baby right and it she may or may not want to have a child later with another man but she knows that (laughs) gosh yeah having a kid with somebody is a big deal and it should be a big deal because you are bringing up a human life and who you choose to do that with should be a bigger decision than whether or not you're going to do it. Yeah, that's right. Am I right in saying that? I don't know. I don't know. I may... Yeah. (laughs) Should is a difficult, uh, scary place. But I'm going to say, like, choose carefully because you're stuck with that person. You're, You're not only stuck with the child... But you're stuck with the other parent. That's right. And, you know, I I don't have kids. I'm married. We don't have children. That was a very conscious decision. But when I think about, like, even in a... In any situation, let's say, let's say that with clear but still confused, let's say that her letter was... was Pertaining to a breakup only in a pregnancy was not involved. That alone is difficult. Mm-hmm. You have you have lives that have become very tightly woven together, mm-hmm. and to untie them is just a series of 
a million different decisions and mm-hmm. adaptations and learning new ways to be and not to mention just the particulars of your life you know where are you gonna live and what how are you gonna do Mm -hmm. this and how are you gonna do that um but you know and that's that's one of the things that I just I so appreciate about clear and her letter and what she wrote is I mean I think it comes back to this she does she she knows what she wants it can be very difficult to convey those things when they, you know, they involve other people, other people are affected. And it's just, it's just never, it's just never easy, you know, right, no matter, right. no matter what it is in life, whatever that difficult conversation is. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's just it's just not easy, and it makes me wonder. You know, does she have? Who who else is she talking to? You know, does she have a a trusted group? You know, does Claire have a trusted group of friends like right. in the movie mm-hmm. that she's talked these things over with? You know, male, female, old, young. That doesn't. You know, it doesn't matter. Right. Um, I think that's a really important. Because we don't know, we don't know the man here, right? Right. We don't right. know. We don't know him. And and so he's not he's not Peter. We don't. Right. You know the exactly. boyfriend is not her boyfriend is not Peter. And I think that when the question that Claire asks is, when am I going to tell him, and how much should I tell him? Mm-hmm. I think that. The first answer, when are you going to tell him? As soon as possible. Yep. And uh, just like Jess in the movie, she's like, I need to speak to you. We need to speak as soon as possible. This this can't wait. Right. How much you're going to tell him, I think, depends on what you know about him. Right. Is Has he been wanting to have a kid? You've talked about it in the past. Um, How recent has that been? Right. And would he still want to have a child with you if your feelings weren't the same? Right. Right. How much of a friend is this person? Uh, Because I think that's something that we uh, tend to not think about when we're choosing a romantic partner. (laughs) Like we choose, a lot of times we, we think with our genitals. Absolutely. And instead of becoming like a best friend with this person who would be supportive of you in your decisions and who would um, help you come to the best decision for you as a person, not necessarily for your relationship. So if this is that type of person, clear, then perhaps you saying, I've got all these things that I want to do, I appreciate you as a person but no longer as my life partner then maybe the idea of the child wouldn't look so nice that's that's possible and even even the most understanding best friend enlightened kind of a partner 
upon receiving this news, especially if they're as deeply invested as ever, you know, right? it's, it's just going to be a difficult conversation. And I, I am hesitant to give, I'm hesitant to give the specific, this, I'm hesitant to say what I'm about to say, mm-hmm. but I'm going to only put it, so I'm going to put it in terms of myself. Mm-hmm is if that if the relationship is ending anyway there is no reason in the world to tell that person that you're pregnant mm-hmm. quite honestly because you've already made your decision mm-hmm. um to not only end the pregnancy but the relationship mm-hmm. you you are going to want to trans I don't I don't know if I we don't know if clear and her her boyfriend are living together. I mean, right. probably they right. are. Probably right. they are. Um, you're going to, after that conversation happens, and I mean, we, we've we all had this experience. After that conversation happens, you, you're you wanting to like physically get out of that situation oh God, as yes. soon as possible. Yes. Hopefully you already have a plan um, for mm. doing that. Yeah. But to complicate it further with, this information when the decision is already made um i don't think it's i for me i would not do it i just i'm just i'm yeah i would not i would i think i think that's a that's i'm glad that you said it because um yeah because at that point the choice is not um my husband walked in with squeaky shoes. <laughs> um, yeah, the choice is still technically about her body. Right. right. And, and if she were deciding to keep the child, okay, you know, you should maybe talk to, you know, the father. Because well, that's... that brings up a whole nother kettle of fish. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I mean, I think that the with this, yeah, I think you're right. I think you've convinced me. Okay, I was I I wasn't sure if I wanted to say that, but again, I think that at the end of the day, everyone makes their own decisions. So in clear in her writing to us. You know, we, we've all been givers and receivers of advice. Mm-hmm. And you can get the best the best advice in the world. If you're committed to a particular course of action, you're you're still going to you're still gonna do what you plan to do. You're still gonna yeah. have it play out the way that you had envisioned. It's incredibly hard and I think we talked about this on another on another, actually, the Friday the Thirteenth podcast, mm-hmm. um, which would have been two weeks ago. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. God, it feels like forever ago. And who knows what order these episodes are going to air? So, I, I, I mean, I guess we're committed now. Yeah, you guys might get it next week. It might be, I don't know, like the next Friday the Thirteenth. Who knows? <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah, you that that it's it's extremely difficult. When you need advice the most is when it's the most difficult to accept Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. particularly advice that might be different than what what you may be already geared to do or to Mm -hmm. think Mm -hmm. um to leave to leave some part of your inside to leave a space to be able to receive Mm-hmm. different kinds of, of inputs and I'm all of a sudden I'm thinking about pregnancy and I'm like this just this language I'm using sounds terrible uh, no, <laughs> you know what I mean but I think that but I think to be receptive to be receptive and be vulnerable and let let yourself I think one of the hardest things in life is to name a fear mm-hmm. and sit with it and name a vulnerability or a a strong emotion and just sit with it and just say yeah i'm afraid but i'm gonna do it anyways yeah. i'm feeling vulnerable but you know or, or even i'm feeling vulnerable and yeah that i am feeling something and i'm going to take action that's good for me because you know we are not our feelings. We are not our emotions. And perhaps more than anything, we are the things that we do. We are the decisions that we make. Yes. Um, and you're going to feel afraid. You're going to feel vulnerable no matter what you do. That's right. Because if you continue to not take action, then you have the fear of somebody finding out that you know of the boyfriend finding out that you don't feel the same way you're gonna have the fear of um like that maybe he's going to dump you first and then you have the fear of that rejection like you know there's so many things yeah so, there's so many things why not act on the the fear that you know yeah yeah that's all you can really do that's all you can really do was there anything else about, so we, uh, we always hope, we always hope that, um, that these discussions help. Thank you, Clear, but still confused for writing to us. Um, and you know, the way, obviously the way our podcast is set up, um, that it is a horror and advice, advice podcast that, even though we don't necessarily hear from people that they are specifically horror fans, mm-hmm. we, we sort of assume that, I think. Right. Yeah. And probably, you know, would I put out the solicitation um, now um, that, you know, if you want to write to us and if you've got something particular going on and if you have a particular film mm-hmm. or character in mind mm-hmm. then then lay it on us mm-hmm. and Absolutely. you know we can we can run with that because um Obviously, there, there's already a, a linkage there mm-hmm. um, in what you're going through, and and that the, there's a film that's already speaking to you, yeah. and, and why. Um, so that would that would be awesome too. Feel free yeah. to do that. Email us at dearfinalgirl at gmail Follow us on Twitter at final dear. I think is final what dear <laughs> at final dear. I love yeah. that. But I love uh, that. yeah, thank you Twitter for suggesting that because yes. apparently dear final girl was already taken. Even know. dear final girl was I taken. So. I don't know. I don't know how Twitter did that. Yeah, but, but are they anyway. active? How active is that account? Who knows? 
Probably not. Not. We're, um, no. But our, our name is, I think if you search Dear Final Girl, you'll see the, um, oh, it's an image of Laurie Strode. And, and Michael Myers. Michael Myers, yeah. yeah. Um, the on-again, off-again relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, follow us on Twitter. Uh, say hi. Yep. We uh, definitely, that's it. We, you can DM us mm-hmm. um, because if you don't, you know, you want a private means of communicating right, your situation. Um, or just, you know. Yeah, just tweet at us. And uh, email us and um, this is Final Girl. Yeah, this is Final Girl. So stay alive out there, everybody. Yeah. Bye. Bye. We can yeah, cut we can. Out. <laughs> yeah. That was good. Caps lock are on. That's from the. Hey, final girls, final boys, and final non-binaries. Tamara and I are honored to be your dear Abbies of horror, but that's all we are. People struggling just like you. We're not professionals. If you're in crisis, please reach out. We like to promote the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at suicidepreventionlifeline.org, phone number 1-800-273-8255. There's an online chat, and they're even on Twitter. Their profile is The Lifeline, and the handle is at 800-273-TALK. The Lifeline isn't just for life-threatening situations. It's free and confidential support for anyone who needs it at any time for any reason. Just know you're not alone. Tam and I wouldn't be doing this podcast if we hadn't been there too. Take care.